Try a flexible payment option to boost your firm's finances. LawPay is excited to offer Client Credit, a legal fee lending solution powered by a firm. Designed specifically for the legal industry, Client Credit allows your clients to pay for services over time while you collect 100% upfront. Your firm is never responsible for late or non-payments, and your clients will always know exactly how much they owe and when they'll be done paying, without worrying about late fees, penalties, or hidden interest. Learn more about the payment option legal clients are asking for at lawpay.com slash client credit. Hello, today's podcast is part of the DC Bar's Brief Encounters podcast program. I'm Don Reznikoff, a member of the DC Bar's Antitrust and Consumer Affairs Committee. With me is Ann Wilcox, who is co-chair of the uh, DC Affairs Community. And our topic today is one I think is of great interest. It's actually been of great interest to me for a long time. It has to do with hazardous rail transportation in the District of Columbia. And that's come to people's attention because of the February calamity that occurred in East Palestine, Ohio. And there's been some talk about how that is brought attention to a lack of concern about those rail safety hazards. And of course, if it's a concern in a rural area, what about D.C., where really the exposure of people is, is much greater? So that's what we're going to talk about. Our principal speaker is going to be Michael Summersall. And Michael is the Associate Director of Rail Safety and Emergency Response Division of D.C.'s Environmental Services Administration. Michael's division is committed to safe rail transport of passengers and freight throughout the district. And Michael's division is responsible for two programs. They focus on prevention and also to emergency response when some calamity does occur. And so one of the programs is the rail safety program. And that's responsible for ensuring that the district residents and railroad employees are protected from unsafe practices on rail and passenger railroads. And this is done by enforcing state and federal safety rules, regulations, and inspection efforts. The second part is the emergency response program. And as the title suggests, that is delegated by the Department of Energy and Environment to respond to reports of environmental emergencies, as well as to investigate and mitigate releases of oil or other potentially hazardous substances on either public or private property. And before we turn to Michael's on-the-ground expertise about DC rail safety, I want to take up with Anne uh, some preliminary topics. I mentioned about the uh, calamity that occurred in East Palestine, and I'm going to turn to Anne to ask, what are some of your thoughts about the relevance of this kind of story to the people in the District of Columbia? Well, thank you, Don. It's great to be with you today. In March, I saw that NPR posted an interesting story noting that freight train derailments are actually fairly common in the U.S. In 2022, there were more than 1,000 such derailments. Most of them occur inside rail yards and do not represent serious safety risks. But the same month as the East Palestine derailment, which of course did present serious risks, there was a similar incident in Springfield, Ohio, which is just a few hours away from East Palestine. 28 cars came off the tracks, and fortunately there was no major spillage in that incident. But it is fairly common. Now turning here to DC, 
This is an issue for district residents, the safety of freight rail lines passing through DC, particularly with potential risks posed by hazardous materials. There's the possibility of derailment or a terrorist act that causes an explosion, fire, or the release of toxic substances from rail cars within our borders. Railroads, as common carriers, are required to provide transportation service at reasonable request, including the transport of dangerous materials. As we know, the CSX main line passes within several blocks of the U.S. Capitol and through densely populated neighborhoods. More than 100,000 federal employees work within a half mile of the line, and more than 54,000 people live in this area of the district. In addition, the district has been identified as a high-threat urban area by the Transportation Security Administration, or TSA. So it does present a risk, certainly. Right. Well, I think I was one of those federal employees for many years. But now, before turning to Michael, I want for us to provide some legal background, and I'm going to try to do my part as briefly as I can. I think it's important to notice that there have been efforts from the government really to come up with a plan that would essentially steer dangerous rail traffic away from D.C., so that in 2007, a government report was written that suggested actually routing freight rail traffic away from D.C. in order to avoid dangers the densely populated areas. The bypass alternatives were studied by a group called the Freight Railroad Realignment Feasibility Study Group, and this was 2007. The District of Columbia Department of Transportation participated. Funding came from the Department of Homeland Security's Urban Areas Security Initiative Program. The main thought that they had was to find alternate routes that would take potentially hazardous freight on rail away from the district and through other areas, which would include mainly Maryland and Virginia. And the short story there is that that was never adopted and seems very unlikely that it will be adopted. Prior to the 2007 study, D.C. Council in 2005 passed legislation that would have blocked hazardous materials from coming into D.C., but the D.C. Court of Appeals blocked that legislation. Part of the reason was concerned about local interference with interstate commerce. There is a lot of discussion of that topic elsewhere in law reviews and so forth. I'm not going to go into it here. But the bottom line is that legal precedent discourages local government action blocking freight rail shipments into and through D.C. And federal action along the same lines blocking traffic from coming in seems unlikely. Having said that, there is some government regulation that does apply to transportation of hazardous materials. And the basic statute that's relevant is called the Hazardous Materials Transportation Act, and that's from 1975 and was amended in 1990. And I think looking at that in the Code of Federal Regulations, it seems that the general scheme is that the federal government takes responsibility for rail safety, but then delegates to the state level some initiatives and some action to support that authority. Does that sound right to you? I think that's correct. Uh, Looking at CFR Title 49B, Section 212, there is an outline to provide such an inspection regime. I'll just paraphrase it here shortly. The principal role of the State Safety Participation Program in the National Railroad Safety Effort 
is to provide an enhanced investigative and surveillance capability through assuming responsibility for planned routine compliance inspections. The FTA promotes growth and vitality of the state safety participation program through liaison with state government, coordination of federal and state investigative and surveillance activities, and training of inspection personnel. So I think that's the regime that you're going to be discussing more with Mr. Somersault today. That is correct. And with that background, I think now we're ready to turn to Michael Somersault for some of his uh, local expertise. And Michael, we're very happy to have you with us because you can bring to us some real on-the-ground knowledge of how rail regulation actually works in D.C. So we're very appreciative. I've already briefly described the work of your agency, Michael, but perhaps you could expand some on what I've said. Certainly. And just for our year listening audience, my name is Michael Somersol. I'm the Associate Director of Rail Safety and Emergency Response in the District of Columbia. And just first off, just want to give some greetings to your listening audience. I'm delighted to have this opportunity to discuss our newly minted rail safety program in the District of Columbia. And, you know, up at the top, you mentioned the state participation program codified under CFR Part 212. But to give a bit more context or background of how we got here, I believe it's important for us to acknowledge the work of former Councilwoman Mary Shea, former director of DOE, Tommy Wells, and our current director, interim director, Mr. Richard Jackson. There are some other stakeholders that supported us in this cause of pushing forward this Rail Safety and Security Amendment of 2016 legislation. This piece of local legislation signed into law in early of 2017 actually undergirds the legal framework for the district to participate in the FRA state participation program. As you have stated prior, this authorizes our office to carry out emergency response activities, coordinate with our local, federal, and state rail safety offices and to carry out inspections, investigative enforcement, and surveillance activities as it relates to rail transportation throughout the district. You also mentioned freight railroad in your opening remarks. I would like to clarify that our scope goes beyond freight and would cover all FRA-regulated railroads and incorporates the following specific competencies as per our MOU signed with the FRA. Railroad track inspection, which kind of covers inspection of the track infrastructure throughout the District of Columbia. Hazmat, in this particular competency, we've been very active in this particular competency over the past year and a half since our inspector has been uncertified. This particular one, we go out every day and we monitor train movement in and out of the District of Columbia. We're monitoring the rail cars to ensure that there's no leaks or anything trailing or dropping while the cars are passing through the District of Columbia. We actually have the authority here as well to go to uh, neighboring states where uh, rail transportation would originate or where it would end to do inspections on these cars that are traversing the District of Columbia. The other competencies, once we're fully up and running, would be signal and train control, motive power and equipment, operating practices, and we do have a great crossing inspector. His particular duty is to do a lot of public outreaches and present ideas on how to uh, traverse around grade crossings safely without incurring any issues. And to move on a bit, I must point out that the outline competencies are not fully satisfied at this time. Currently, we are staffed with two inspectors, which brings me to another important aspect of the Rail Safety Amendment Act. The act authorizes our agency to develop a user rail fee 
mechanism to offset the operating costs of our office. That notice for proposed rulemaking was published in the DC Register in July of last year for the mandatory 30-day uh, comment period. We did not receive any comments during that period. However, there was a letter transmitted after the comment period closed, which is currently in the hands of our legal counsel. To switch gears a bit, and cognizant that the theme here is to discuss freight rail, um, given the nature of the ongoing investigations regarding the East Palatine, Ohio incident, I wanted to briefly touch lightly on freight rail operations in the district. Some of this information is publicly available via the district's rail plan. However, that particular rail plan was developed some years ago, so it may be a little bit outdated. In terms of freight rail, CSX is the sole freight rail service provider in the district, operating over an active network of 21 miles. Norfolk Southern does have rights to operate over 13 miles of the CSX network, but it has no service at the present time. On a typical day, there are multiple freight trains that are traversing through the district. Typically, there are general merchandise trains, intermodal container trains, then there are some dedicated trains for automobile transportation. Uh, they move cars and those kinds of things back and forth throughout the district from Baltimore through to uh, Virginia. Then there are the bulk grain and coal trains that also come through District of Columbia. The vast majority of the rail freight in the district is passed through overhead traffic, both originating and terminating at locations outside of the district. An example would be a train that originates in Baltimore, but it actually terminates in Virginia. So there are no particular terminals that are housed within the District of Columbia. Rail freight shipments, there are not that much that are, well, there may be three or four uh, relative minor customers within the district. Can you comment further on the volume of freight rail traffic that passes through urban areas in D.C.? To preserve confidentiality because of the sensitive nature of our geographic location, I would assume you all would agree that we're in the District of Columbia. I prefer not to comment on quantity or commodity breakouts of the District of Columbia freight rail traffic, but just so you know that CSX reports to us on an annual basis. We do have a document that's presented to us, the district government, that outlines the freight or any hazardous substance or hazardous material that is being transferred um, traffic through the District of Columbia, so to speak. And so I, I take it that information is held close unless you feel there's some need to know, in which case it would be further distributed. Is that the way it works? Yes, we have the uh, we are authorized to distribute that to so say for instance DC FIMS, who was our first responder, or the uh, Metro Police. We can disseminate that information to DC FIMS or the Metro Police, and we do that as well. Okay, thank you. I want to move next to the May 2016 incident that I gather occurred based on materials I saw on the website and ask you if you can talk a little bit about that and discuss lessons that may have been learned by D.C. authorities from that incident. Sure. Well, that incident predates my tenure here. However, based on the incident report that is publicly available via the FRA web portal, the ensuing investigation found that no human factor, track, signal, or hazardous material issues were contributing factors to cause the derailment. It was actually a derailment that occurred. The probable cause of the derailment was mechanical. It was the result of a broken axle journal. I would also submit that our existence was a direct result of that particular incident. Our piece of local legislation was signed into law in 2017, so that was a direct result of this incident that occurred within the district. 
And there are several groups that were formed out of, were born out of this particular incident. There is a standing rail safety subcommittee facilitated by the Washington Council of Government, where there's a tremendous amount of knowledge sharing amongst first responders and rail operators in the district. It covers planning exercises and training. The mayor's office, in addition, Mayor's Office of Talent and Appointments has conducted an outreach for the appointment of board members to the DC Rail Advisory Board as per the requirements of our Rail Safety and Emergency Response Act of 2016. This presents another mechanism to discuss and ventilate rail-related matters within the district. I wanna make sure there are no loose ends so that to the extent you've not already covered it, can you review some of the steps DC takes to prevent rail freight rail hazmat incidents, and also steps taken once they occur. Sure. In addressing district safety concerns, it is useful to understand the current organization of the emergency response program in the District of Columbia. Several agencies within the district government are responsible for emergency response and preparedness, including Homeland Security and Emergency Management Agency and the Fire and Emergency Medical Services Department, which is DC PHMSA, you'll hear a lot of folks refer to them as DC FIMS. In addition to the Emergency and Safety Alliance, the Emergency and Safety Alliance focuses on emergency response as it pertains to schools. Further to this, the District Department of Energy and Environment and other system agencies have been involved with providing emergency response planning oversight. I believe the district's COVID-19 pandemic response is indicative of how we have banded together to achieve a common goal. To further address the activities of HSEMA, HSEMA's job is to focus on planning and training for emergency situations, as well as plays a coordinating and public information role in case of emergency. That particular agency is responsible for developing emergency preparedness plans in coordination with our sister district agencies, service providers, and private businesses. HSEMA also delivers training to local first responders, city employees, and other stakeholders. It also maintains awareness of potential threats and hazards. It keeps the public informed, and it leads in planning efforts to ensure safety during special events. So events such as uh, the presidential inauguration, HSEMA would play a lead role in that particular exercise. FIMS, along with the Metropolitan Police Department, are the district's first responders. And I think sometimes that's not clear. Um, sometimes we are called on to be first responders, but FIMS along with the Metropolitan Police Department are the district's first responders. FIMS includes units that are trained for and have the equipment to respond to emergencies involving hazardous materials. An interesting aspect of information on the DC website concerns application of modern electric technology to rail safety issues. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about that if you can. I mean, for example, does electronic technology help DC government people know what is arriving in freight cars and whether it is dangerous? Another example would be are there cybersecurity issues that are addressed by electronic technology? So, the District of Columbia Homeland Security was established by Homeland Security and Risk Reduction and Preparedness Amendment Act of 2006 to make recommendations for improvement in security and preparedness in the District of Columbia. While this organization has a broad mandate addressing a wide range of security matters, the commission finds it more practical to focus on specific issues. For example, in 2013, the commission provided recommendations regarding cybersecurity. The railroad industry has also instituted a few measures to help first responders in case of or an event of an emergency. 
As the principal freight operator in the district, CSX is the rail carrier with primary interaction with FIMS. District emergency responders have participated in freight rail-related training provided by CSX, which ranges from information available in CSX Community Awareness and Emergency Planning Guide, computer-based hazmat training programs, and hands-on training sessions involving rail equipment and hazardous materials training. And I would also add that CSX also provides in-person training as well to all first responders, and that is kind of elevated at our subcommittee meeting with the MCOD, Washington Council of Governments, Rail Safety Subcommittee. So with that, I want to thank you very much for helping us. I appreciate for the audience that there's a fair amount of detail in what you've explained. That is the reality of how things are done on the ground here, and it's very valuable for us to get that information from you. And Michael, we thank you very much for your contribution. And thank you all for your interest in rail safety within the district. I think we're at a place where, you know, accidents do happen, accidents do occur, but I think we're at a place where we're definitely ramping up our efforts to be prepared in case of an emergency. This episode of Brief Encounters was brought to you in part by our sponsor, LawPay. To learn more about Client Credit, a legal fee lending solution powered by a firm, visit lawpay.com slash client credit.